2: Hi, I'm Deb Blaschenberg. I am your host of Yoga Birth Babies, and today we're having a conversation about solutions for breastfeeding problems. So the whole idea about this episode came from a conversation I had with one of my students, Melissa. She and I were commiserating about clogged ducts, and I just remember the frustration and the pain, and just trying to deal with it. And we were talking about have I ever done a podcast about these issues and having a way to solve them? And I thought I haven't. So I really out to Kelly Uperio. She is a board certified lactation consultant, a registered dietitian nutritionist, and a certified specialist in orofacial myology. She's got a ton of knowledge. Now, she doesn't just give solutions for many of the problems we're going to talk about. She goes even further into why are these issues even arising in the first place so that maybe you don't have clogged ducts. We can avoid having thrush. And if you have mastitis, what do you do about it We talk about inverted nipples and flat nipples and just so much. I think it's a really great conversation. So thank you, Melissa, for suggesting it. And thank you, Kelly, for being such a great uh, podcast guest. Now, before we get to that, I want to let you know that I have a free downloadable, free five simple solutions to the most common pregnancy pains. You can get it from our website, prenatalyogacenter.com. You can get it from our Instagram, prenatalyogacenter. And it's just a guide to the most common problems that people have physically. And I give you some yoga poses to help resolve that because who wants to live with discomfort? We also have live prenatal yoga classes seven days a week. So feel free to join us with that. And if you can't make the live class, you can catch one of the re-releases. So a lot of yoga coming your way. And of course, we've got baby and me and postnatal yoga classes. And of course, all our workshops. I also want to say thank you. I have been looking at our Apple podcast, Ratings and Review, and we've had just some wonderful reviews popping up. So thank you for those that spent the time to do that. And if you haven't, please consider doing so. All right, I'm gonna read one that came in. I have to tell you, I'm always about full transparency. I hate reading out loud. I have mild dyslexia, so the idea of reading out loud, ah! But I wanna honor the person that left this review. Munchkin37, I'm a pregnant yogi looking forward to a natural birth, so this is perfect for me. I've been binging this podcast during my pregnancy. This is such a great resource for anyone who is pregnant or has young children. Bonus, if you're into yoga, but there's a lot of good info, Uh, that's not even yoga-related. Great interviews. So thank you, Munchkin37. I appreciate your time and effort in doing that. Last thing I just want to talk about before we hit our interview. So our teacher training has been online for most of 2020, and we've gotten the go-ahead to continue through 2021. We didn't know what would happen with the fall, but Yoga Alliance, that's the accreditation program we're registered with, gave us the go-ahead for finishing off 2021. So we have two trainings that will be happening online. We have September and October and November and December. So if you've been thinking about the program, it's pretty in-depth. If you've been thinking about it, but just hadn't thought, I don't want to head to, you know, thought I can't head to New York. It's expensive to head to New York for two full weekends. We're doing it online. So you can check that out. Again, prenatalyogacenter.com, check all that out. All right, friends, we're going to take a super quick break and we come back. Please enjoy my conversation with Kelly.
0: That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.
2: Hi, Kelly. How are you today? I'm doing well. How are you? Oh, I'm good. It's been one of those long days. I don't know about you. My kids are still 100% virtual, so it has been one of those days.
1: <laughs> oh, I know how that is, but no, mine are now in
2: school. Oh, they're and actu- loving it. They're actually in like the school building. Yeah, they are four days a week. Oh my gosh. I I look forward to that day. (laughs) I'm hoping soon. Well, I want to thank you for spending a little bit of time talking with me about solutions for breastfeeding problems. So it's funny, one of my friends mentioned, she's talked about her breastfeeding issues and she said, that would be a really great podcast. And I thought, you know, I think it would be. So I'm really excited to dive in. But before we get to that, I'd love to just to learn a little bit about you and what drew you to being an IBC see.
1: Yeah, so um 10 years ago, uh when I had my first baby, I I had issues breastfeeding. Um I ended up breastfeeding her for, you know, decently long time. Um I breastfed her until I was pregnant with my second, um a little after she turned 1 and then my supply dropped but it was not easy and um you know i had to pump a lot she wasn't able to transfer milk and you know i would ask my pediatrician because i thought that's what i was supposed to do and he offered formula and i'm like well she also can't take a bottle and that's not what i wanted anyway you know it was just like i felt like i couldn't find good help and um she also didn't grow enough there's all kinds of things and um you know, I just felt like I was getting more help on the internet than I was with any real person. I'm Mm -hmm. like, this is not right. And it didn't sit well with me. And so then, you know, when I had my second baby and I was like, I, I definitely know more than my pediatrician does. This isn't right. You know? And I, you know, talked to some IV CLCs in the hospital who also, weren't giving me good advice, and I just—that's when I decided I need to do this. And so I looked into it. I already was a registered dietitian, and so that made a little bit of it easier. I didn't have to do the college any more college courses or anything like that. And um, I just decided to go all in. And I'm the type who is, you know, a lifelong learner. When I'm doing something, I am obsessed. I get obsessed with it, and I want to learn, like probably more than I need to know. <laughs> and, um, yeah. And so I just dove in deep, but it was definitely my own kids who, And my own breastfeeding experience that motivated me.
2: I mean, talk about going in deep because being an IBCLC, it's not a light course load. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's a, it's a lot you know, to, you yeah, know, how, how many I- hours is it?
1: Well, honestly, like the course load, is fine. And it, it, this is what makes every IBCLC different is everybody actually takes different courses oh, beyond the
2: actual college classes. So there aren't certain required. But the classes. hours, you the hours keep, you need to. Bank. Yeah, so that's, I guess, what I no, was thinking. Exactly.
1: No, exactly. So. um I, you know, put me on the spot on that one, but I think uh, the one I did, the pathway, so there's three different pathways, and so every pathway is different with how many hours they need, so I think it's anywhere from three to five hundred with the lowest pathway, and then I did the one thousand hour pathway, and I volunteered for probably two years in a really busy private practice getting those hours and um, you're right. It, it, it was a lot. <laughs> and looking back on it now, I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I did that.
2: Yeah. That's what I was thinking about the thousand. Cause I have a couple of friends that have done that. And one of them's like, this is harder than my grad program. And when I looked at what she was doing, I'm like, yeah, it does. It looks hard,
1: but yeah, it's worth it. it. Then you
2: have that information to pass along.
1: Right. Exactly.
2: So let's exactly. Use- I, I'm
1: so yeah. glad that I did it that way.
2: Well, I am too, cause I've, I've looked at the stuff that you put out. I've looked uh, through your blog, your Instagram. You really know a lot and you're so generous with what you offer. So using, oh, let's you. tap into some of that. Amazing knowledge. So as I mentioned, the idea of this podcast came from my friend Melissa. She and I were talking about, we we're kind of commiserating about clogged ducks. Um, and I thought, what a great idea for a podcast about breastfeeding issues. I remember when I had my first clogged duck, it was only after my son is maybe a week or two old. And it was so, I thought it was worse than labor. Like it was, it was, I never knew if when it would end and it just was so. Painful. And she and I just talked about how it just was overwhelming. So let's start there. So besides um, crying about it, what are ways to deal with clogged ducts?
1: Okay. So I'm going to say this probably with everything that you ask me, but I'm really big about getting to the root cause. Mm. So I will talk about how We're going to deal with it in the moment now that we have a a clogged duct, but keep in the back of your head that for, for this and for everything, like we always need to be seeing somebody to find the root cause Mm, because clogged ducts don't just occur for no reason. There's always a reason. There's always a reason for all of this. Well, I actually like this even better.
2: So like, not only are we going to get a solution, but we're going to step back and get a solution that might prevent (laughs) the problem. Right.
1: Well, and I would say definitely see an IVCLC because it's not going to be the same for everybody, but I will give you like some things that it might be. Okay. Um, but, so let's say we have the clog duct. Um, some things that I really like um, are, I do like vibration in between the nipple and the clog. So sometimes people will take some sort of vibration device, you can do a vibrator, a back of a toothbrush, they make those really nice lobby, I don't know how to pronounce it, or lobby um, vibrators now for breasts that I really like. But we don't want to go right on top of where you feel that clog. You always want to go in between the clog and the nipple. Now, some women might feel that the clog is right behind the nipple. And in that case, I don't think vibration is a good choice. But, um, We wanna break it up from in between there because where the clog is, it's kind of behind where it's stopping the milk is stopped. Mm -hmm. So I always wanna go in between, not right on. That's just gonna make it worse. We also don't want to do really hard massaging right on it. That's also not going to help. It's I just going to add more inflammation. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I think I felt like I was massaged, trying to massage it away, shake it away. I did all the wrong things. Okay, this is good. Oh,
1: I know we all do. I've been there too. I've, I've done. I did all the wrong things too. So, um, I also like that vibration in the shower. Mm-hmm. So when we have some hot, steaming water. Um, probably my absolute favorite. Thing for clogged ducts are castor oil compresses. Oh, and um, it, they really decrease the inflammation, which allows everything to pass. And so, what you do for a castor oil compress is that you soak, like, a high-quality um, cotton piece or flannel piece, but be okay with ruining it. There are ways to get it out, but I'm not going to go into that right now. Um, So I just always say like something you're okay with ruining and, you know, it doesn't have to be big. It can be pretty small, but you heat up that, you soak it in castor oil, heat it up, make sure there's no hot spots, put it on, Put some sort of towel over that that you're also okay with ruining and then put a heating pad on and leave it on there for a really good amount of time. I always say if, if you can try to do it for two hours, like in between a feed and, um, and then afterwards do a milk removal, whether that's pumping or breastfeeding. You do need to wash castor oil off because we don't want the baby to ingest it. Um, but I, it's, my absolute go-to and it tends to work really, really well to get clogged out and, um, yeah, and decrease, it decreases inflammation.
2: I hadn't heard of that, but what about the breastfeeding? Is that just like one of the go-to like with a really strong pump or, or a baby? Oh, definitely. Of course
1: we want to just remove milk. You know, removing milk is always going to be the best thing. Um, But if we do that right before a milk removal session, um, it tends to, inflammation is decreased enough, it seems like, to where they can get it out easier. Mm. And so that's definitely my go-to. But yes, remove milk as much as possible. Oftentimes moms that are dealing with oversupply, Get it, and they're like, "Oh, but I don't want to do lots of milk removal right now because then it's going to cause more oversupply, and then eventually more clogged ducts." But at the time that we have the clogged duct, that takes priority. So we always want to get the clogged duct um, unclogged, I guess.
2: Do you feel like as a priority, pretty much everyone that breast or chest feeds ends up with clogged ducts at some point? No. Oh, that's good to know. All right. Because I feel like all my friends I've talked to about this, like oh, when I had a clogged duck, like it just seemed like almost everybody had this experience. Maybe we were just the unlucky ones.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, people might have like a slight clog here and there, or maybe while they're weaning, or maybe just in the very beginning, something like that. But throughout the breastfeeding journey, I wouldn't say that everyone does at all. Okay, um, And there's different things that can cause you know, more clogged ducts. And so things that I'm looking for if a mom, you know, if you had one clogged duct, I wouldn't worry anything about it. But if a mom is having reoccurring clogged ducts um, over and over again throughout their breastfeeding, I'm going to look for, why isn't their breasts being drained efficiently mm. as one thing. So that could be um, a latch issue It could be a latch issue because of just simple positioning, but more likely um, the baby is compensating in some way. So maybe they have a tongue tie, maybe they have low tone um, or lack of strength in the muscles in their mouth or their tongue or something like that. But we're going to look, or, you know, maybe they need some body work, but for some reason they're not efficiently draining or it could be the pump, you know, maybe it's a um, flange size that's wrong. Maybe their pump isn't working very well for them and maybe they just don't respond to the pump. Well, um, so that could be part of it. In uh, some people I've also found that uh, if we, well, I guess it's, it, it's kind of a touching subject, I guess, with some people, but um, if somebody's eating a high inflammatory diet, mm. that they have more inflammation in the breast and they are more prone to clogged ducts too. And so, you know, decreasing that inflammation is is really good. Um when somebody gets a clogged duct I also do a lot of I work with a lot of herbs with my clients and suggest a lot of herbs which I don't necessarily do in a public space because we look at you know what's going on with them specifically but I think herbs do so much
2: Can I ducts. can I have you put your um because you talked about inflammatory foods can I have you put on your uh registered dietitian hat for a moment <laughs> because I love that you come at this information from that lens as well. What would some foods be that tend to be high inflammation? Like the only one I can think of is sugar. I'm I'm guessing there's probably a ton more.
1: Yeah. And it's not always the same for everybody, but sugar is definitely um, highly inflammatory. Dairy is pretty highly inflammatory for most people. And also, gluten is pretty highly inflammatory for most people. No, not everybody. And it kind of, it depends on also, you know, it seems to me, you know, the amounts that we're eating these foods and the combination that we're eating them. And, um, you know, I look at diet as a big picture. And if they're eating a lot of uh, processed foods and, you know, foods in boxes, stuff like that, Then um, it's a a really good thing to look at. Now, some people don't want to go there, and they're like, no. I mean, I would rather treat the clogs as they come, not worry about my diet, work on latch, all of that. And then some people are 100% on board and really want to dive in deep with that.
2: That sounds so interesting. I really like that you're looking at the diet point of view with it too. Okay, before I have a few other um breastfeeding issues, anything else about clogged ducts that you want to cover before I move to crack nipples? Uh, no, let's go. All right, <laughs> cracked nipples. You know, the funny thing is um I remember walking into one of my friend's house and she had these two little bowls that she just had her breasts sitting in of salt water or something. I thought it was salt water, but she just was so sad. She was like hanging over them. So, and that was the first time I really, this is before I was well into what I do in the prenatal world. So that was kind of my first introduction to cracked nipples. Um Again, let's go at it. Like how common is it? What can we do about it? Why is it happening? Okay. Um how
1: common is it it's a really hard question for me to answer because i only see people that are struggling with breastfeeding
2: okay it's <laughs> so true
1: it's true. It, i feel like it's more common in my world than it is actually in the general population but i would say um i also i don't know i don't know how common it is to tell you the truth i i i would say it's probably not the most common thing i see but also, I think that people in my area get help pretty quickly. And so I think in a, you know, a general population, it's, you know, it's semi-common, but, and maybe not even just cracked, but nipples that are hurting for some reason, because I see a lot of different types of damage. It might not be cracks, but it might be bruising, or it might be, um almost like an abrasion type looking nipple, let's go into all so, of
2: that, so, <laughs> so crack abrasion <laughs> bruising. I remember using a lot of um nipple butter because they just got sore,
1: yeah, um yeah so i I do see a lot of people when they are starting breastfeeding that their nipples are a little sore. And if we're dealing with a little bit of soreness, then a really good high quality nipple cream is, is totally fine. And I like to look at nipple creams that, or I like to suggest nipple creams that are, have healing properties in them. So for instance, calendula would be a really, is a really good thing to look for. And, um, you know, there are things that moms get handed in the hospital that actually don't really have any healing properties like lanolin. Mm-hmm. And, um, so there was actually a study done where they looked at lanolin on sore nipples and cracked nipples versus just breast milk alone. Mm-hmm. And the lanolin actually made it take longer to heal. Mm. And so I never suggest lanolin. And um, my favorite thing, if we're going to talk about actually cracked nipples, is meta honey. So meta honey is amazing at building the tissue back up, and really filling in those cracks and building in tissue right there. And it works wonders for cracked nipples. It's called meta honey yeah meta honey and there's a gel in the paste, and I like the paste better than the gel, but it's um it just it it works wonders now legendary milk um or legendary milk is it legendary milk supplements they they actually just came out with a nipple cream that has meta honey in it hmm. and so it's you know. I think that that one is going to be great as one to use, you know, even when you don't have cracks, but you might have little tiny microscopic cracks that we're not seeing. So sometimes that's the soreness. And so I can't wait to try it. I haven't tried it with anybody yet, but I'm really excited to try it.
2: So with the cracked nipples, with the bruised nipples, with the nipples that have abrasions, is that, I'm assuming then it's just a latch problem that this is likely coming from? Yeah, so often, usually
1: it's latch, but latch means so many different things, right? Uh, latch is usually what it means is that they're not latching on with their tongue and holding that nipple with their tongue mm-hmm. because what they should be doing is grasping the nipple with their tongue and then dropping that tongue down to create a vacuum to elicit the milk and so when latch is bad, it means they're compensating in some way. So they're grabbing on with their gums or they're holding on with their lips or they're sucking in with their buccinator muscles. And when they're doing that, they have to hold on to the breast a different way. And so if they're holding on with their gums or with their lips, um, then they're going to hurt the nipples. And so oh, it's always best to figure out why there's pain going on or why there's cracking going on and attack it from there.
2: That is makes sense. Okay. We're going to take a quick break and we come back. We're going to go deeper into that whole thing about painful latch. I've heard people say, you just have to get used to it. And I think we're going to have a conversation about that. We'll be right back. Okay. We're back. So I feel, I'm so glad that you started talking about the the pain um, and something not working right. They're not using their tongue correctly because I feel like I've heard different things. I've heard um, the IBCLC I, I worked with taught me that if it's painful to get the baby off and try again, and then I've also heard other people, not IBCLCs, say you just have to accept the pain um, in the beginning. So I'm assuming that we shouldn't just accept the pain and get to why is the latch not efficient is that correct
1: In my opinion no we can't just accept it. Okay. it it is a sign that something is something's off something's going wrong and you know i do agree that we should unlatch try again but the thing is is if we're try, we're positioning well we're not doing something where the you know we're pressing the baby's head or something like that honestly a baby should be able to adjust if everything's right, you know? And and so if we allow them to latch more or less by themselves, maybe with a little bit of help, but then something's still not right, you know, it hurts you still, you're still getting damage, all of that, then I wanna dig further. Because if I'm still seeing a baby who, you know, we get that baby to open their mouth, we get them on, and then they adjust in the wrong direction. Mm-hmm. So they pull back a little bit or they close up their mouth. Oftentimes, I'll see a baby that has, you know, oh, their, you know, parents will see, oh, look, their upper lip is flanged. But then if we look at their lower jaw, they're really closed up. And then you can tell that they're hanging on with their bottom jaw, whether it's their gums or their lips or something and, you, you know, they're adjusting the wrong way, I want to dig a little bit deeper. I want to see why they can't hang on with their tongue. And, you know, sometimes that's a tongue tie. Sometimes it's muscle strength or muscle tone. And um, we really do have to dig deeper because feeding is a reflex. And so it's good to figure out why. You know, once in a while it's a baby that just needs some body work because they're feeling really uh, tight in certain muscles and they can't get comfortable.
2: So would they do like cranial sacral or what do you suggest for that?
1: So body work is cranial sacral is definitely one type of body work. Mm -hmm. There are so many types of body work where um, a body worker is working with the body to, you know, have the muscles get, I want to, I'm okay. So first of all, I'm not a body worker, so I'm not gonna, so I probably w- will not do this justice. However, um, there are many types of body work that, you know, I send babies to and their muscles get a lot looser, that fascia that holds the, the muscles get looser. They're able to move their body better. They're not looking to one side. You oh, know, that makes constantly. sense. because Sometimes they have, um, and, like
2: torticollis.
1: Yeah. And, um, you know, and if it's just body work they need, it's probably, you know, not full-blown torticollis. It would just be some tightness and some restrictions and Mm. some joints and some muscles, but there's different types of body work and craniosacral therapy is one of them. And chiropractic is one of them. Let's see. My, some of my favorites are osteopathic doctors Mm. also. And, you know, it really depends on who in your community has really trained in this area and trained with infants and can really understand how to work with infants because that's not everybody. I wouldn't right. send a baby to just any chiropractor, um, honestly, or any craniosacral therapist. But Um, you know, it's, it's the ones that have really taken the time to do the training. And hopefully if you're seeing an IBCLC, they'll know who those body workers
2: are in your community. Yeah. They'll have the resources. That makes absolute sense. Yeah. There's,
1: there's also some physical therapists. There's occupational therapists that are also trained in, um, craniosacral therapy. I've seen in some communities, there's like a rolfer who's really Mm. good with infants so um that's why we use the broad term of body, body work is because it's right. yeah it's because it's not one specific person or occupation.
2: Are you seeing the the babies that may have some latch issues tending to and I don't want to have an umbrella statement here but tending to come from um instrumental birth maybe forceps or vacuum or is that more of just like an old wives' tale? No, that is such a great point. So I definitely see a
1: lot of babies with latch issues after a more medicated birth where there's a lot of interventions. And, you know, part of that is is that when babies are born vagil- vaginally on their own, they use their reflexes to come out and open up. And when they can express those reflexes, they have an easier time expressing their breastfeeding reflexes. And so that that's huge. And then if we're talking about adding on their like forceps or vacuum birth or anything like that, you know, their cranial bones probably are a little out of whack and they need a body worker to work with that And they might be a little bit uncomfortable too, which definitely affects feeding.
2: Yeah. And then it can just become this cycle that then the parent is upset what's going on and then they don't trust their body. And then it's just so for those listening, if they're in that situation, because maybe they don't even know to reach out to an IBCLC, um, you know, if latch is a problem, then maybe take a step back of how was this baby born? So highlighting mm-hmm. that oh this I love this information, all right, so we're going to talk about one that I feel very fortunate I never had, but I've had some friends with this mastitis ah, oh, can you talk about what it is and how someone knows if they have it and what to do? Yeah, so mastitis is
1: an infection in the breast it often um, it is. It's often started with a clog and the breast tissue becomes inflamed and infected. They probably will feel like they have the flu they'll, or they'll have at least usually a fever. Oftentimes they'll have an area on their breast where they can see that the breast tissue is inflamed and um, you know they might have the chills and other flu symptoms. But it was really interesting during the first part of COVID, a mom would call me because of mastitis and be like, I really don't think it's COVID. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, do you have a little bit of a warm red breast? And yes, okay, so probably not COVID, but, um, definitely, um, it's, it's something that we need to address. However, I will say too, that if it is coming from a clogged duct, We always want to treat the clogged duct. And if you feel like that clog is being just hanging around and not going away, we want to, you want to try to have somebody help you because, because this can be an issue if we leave it. And we always want to try to get it before mastitis happens. But if we're already there, the first thing that I'll do is do all of those clogs. Things that we talked about. So the castor oil compress, the vibration. If we can know, if we know where the clog is. Sometimes it's really deep, and nobody knows that they have a clogged duct. But they can just tell that their breast is a little sore, mm-hmm. and they're getting those flu symptoms. So some, and so if that's the case, I might do, I might still do a castor oil compress, but just more along, more of the breast, or in the area of the soreness, even if we can't feel where a clog is. Uh, I do a lot of herbs right away. I try to prevent my clients from needing to go to the doctor to get an antibiotic at first. And so especially if they call me right away, because if they call me right away, then we can almost always get it done. And so um, like one of the first things I would do is some homeopathic belladonna and then some other pretty strong herbs if need be. And, um, and then I'll also, if I'm in person with them or even over the internet, we do some lymph drainage massage and which is kind of like, you know, we have lymph nodes in our armpits and it's moving fluid back from our breast, from our nipple outwards into the chest wall and then moving it towards the the lymph and it really just try, it gets everything moving. Mm -hmm. So we do that. And, um, you know, oftentimes if we can get the milk moving again and, you know, of course all the breast removal or the breast milk removal. So whether it's pumping or breastfeeding, we do a lot of that. And oftentimes, even if it got to the point of mastitis, but then we can get the milk moving, then it can go away. But then, you know, if we're, if we go about 24 hours and it's getting worse, then oftentimes they do have to get antibiotics at that point. Um, oh, another thing that I do with mastitis is we go hard with probiotics too. Mm. And if they, especially if they did have to resort to an antibiotic, or even if at that point we got it out, we're like, okay, you're prone to mastitis. Let's, you know, look and see what probiotic might be best for you because probiotic therapy has been shown to decrease mastitis.
2: Does that decrease thrush as well? I could be totally making that up. I just kind of connected it in my head. I could be completely off.
1: Okay. (laughs) It does. Yeah. And then with mastitis, just like clogged ducts, we try to decrease inflammation in the diet. Hmm.
2: So a lot of this also goes back to what you're putting as the parent in your body, knowing that's going to affect the breast tissue.
1: It does. And our, you know, our breast tissue has a microbiome too, and that's why the probiotics
2: can really help that. I love this stuff. I'm, so, I'm not even breastfeeding anymore and I just find it so fascinating, but it kind of brings Funny me back. Too. It brings me back to I really enjoyed breastfeeding. I remember when my daughter self-weaned herself. I was so upset. I kept trying so hard. I'm like, no, stay there. She was like, um, 15 months. And I'm like, no, we can't be done. So I do remember when my milk supply started to shift. Oh my gosh. I was a crazy person. I tried teas. I tried supplements. I added extra pumping. I was doing fenugreek. It was, it was, and I was an overproducer, so maybe it was just getting to norm, but what are some things, and I don't even know if those things are real or it's just in my head, but what are some things someone can do to help milk supply and when should somebody be concerned?
1: Okay. So milk supply in the beginning is different than milk supply you know, after a while, like you said, your milk supply started to drop after a while.
2: I mean, like around eight and months, that's when I kind of have both you, kids and yeah. I'm like, well, they're eating differently.
1: Yeah. And so what you want to look at is, my guess is that it probably started to drop before that, but it wasn't noticeable until mm-hmm. it got to a certain point. And so I would say pay attention to your kiddos cues and for most women, if they see a drop, it's before eight months. So that tells me you definitely were a big producer. And oftentimes I can help mamas get that back up because if you could produce enough at one point and then you're, you're having a dip, then usually we can get it back up. And so it's different for everyone what's going to help them. And I like a really good mineral supplement. I like to make sure that the babies are moving milk well because sometimes they're not. And if they're not, some people do need to add a pump in. Also, around this time, um, babies start sleeping more overnight. And Unfortunately, our night milk removals can be some of the most important to keep our supply really high Mm -hmm. because it's when our body is making the most milk and so our breasts are the fullest. And so if we leave them at their fullest time without emptying them, then it sends a feedback to the body that, oh, we can make less milk. And so it's, you know... For our supply, nighttime feeds or milk removals are actually one of the worst ones to skip. And so that's another thing that I see if a mom comes to me and says, you know, my milk supply was fine. Now everything's, you know, just hit the fan and we don't have enough milk. And it's, you know, one of the most common reasons.
2: Yeah, I kept that middle of the night for over a year because it felt like it had the most. And when I felt it was dropping, I'm like, well, that's a good time to have it. But what is a natural time for that to drop? And when should someone be concerned? Because I've had students say like at three months they stopped or even earlier because they just didn't have enough.
1: So I commonly see that a mom, and this was me when I had – when, with my first, and I know that now, I didn't know then, but where they have enough milk in the beginning, you know, the first couple months, everything's fine. And then all of a sudden they go to their four months check and they're like, oh, the baby leveled off in their growth and they're now dropping curves. And the doctor's like, oh yeah, time to do formula. Uh, and what that usually is is the baby is not efficient at removing the milk because in the first Weeks and it's a little different for everyone, but let's just say six weeks. It's your milk supply is mostly going to be a hormonal push. So our hormones are going to kick out that milk. If, even if we just have a little bit of stimulation, the baby's not that great at removing milk, but they're going to, it's going to give the baby enough milk. However, if the baby isn't great, or very efficient at getting that milk out of the breast, then that's going to start to transition. And, or either way, it starts to transition, but that's going to start to decrease milk if they're not good at getting it out. Because if they're going to the breast, when that shift is happening with our hormones to be based more off of supply and demand, they're going to go to breast and they're going to leave, you know, some easy milk in there. And so our bodies are going to again have that feedback and say, Oh, we can decrease the supply. And so as moms or as parents, we blame that on ourselves. We're like, Oh, my supply, I just, I only could produce milk for three months, you know, when actually, usually it's the way the baby is breastfeeding. They're not very good at getting that milk out. And so our bodies are being told, you don't you don't need to make anymore or you're making too much cuz there's all of this easy milk
2: left left in there. So would you have the parent either hand express or pump just to get the rest out to keep the body like yep, we need it, keep it going. Definitely short term and then I would also work with the baby to see what's going on.
1: See if we needed what we need, you know, whether it's again working with those facial muscles or getting a tongue tie release. It could be that the baby doesn't have enough
2: tongue range of motion in order to create a vacuum and get that out. I like that you said tongue tie. I have a podcast on that. So I'm making a note to put that (laughs) in the resources. So what about all these teas and supplements and fenugreek that I was doing? Does it actually work? Well, if, you
1: are someone who has had a full supply at one point, and you know you're trying to get it back up. Usually, milk removals are the best thing. However, along with the milk removals, herbs can definitely support your milk supply. So can lactogenic foods. So we can eat a really lactogenic diet. Have a lot of minerals. I've, I know I've mentioned minerals a few times. But, um, you know, Moringa is one that has shown that it increases prolactin levels a little bit. So that can that can help. Um, fenugreek, I haven't seen it work very well for many moms, but some do say that they feel a difference. I would warn that if you have a history of any sort of thyroid issues, then mm. fenugreek probably is not the one to take. Um, because of that, because there's so many different interactions with herbs, I really think it's best to talk to somebody that can do a history on you to see what herbs might be best. Because I recommend herbs a lot, but it's not the same for every right every single person that I work with. Yeah, I was doing like mothers for each
2: tea, of them, like mothers tea and all that kind of and that mm-hmm. kind of over the counter stuff. All right, so if someone's milk size right. drop. Yeah, what we're we saying.
1: Oh no, I was just going to say yeah, and all of them are mostly over the counter. Yeah, these, they're you know all of these herbs are over the counter, um, but there's still going to be so much specificity to which
2: ones help specific people yeah that makes absolute sense, all right, so another issue I remember when I was a doula, I had one of those oh crap movements. I saw my my client just <laughs> took her. she had her baby, she took her bra off, ready to feed, and these were like the deepest inverted nipples <laughs> like 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 caverns in. I'm like, oh, so and I'm thinking, yikes, that's going to be a challenge. And she ended up having all sorts of like shields that she ended up using to try to pull the nipples out. What about flat or inverted nipples? Yeah, so I have seen a lot of
1: babies um, latch on to flat or inverted nipples really easily because you don't, they're not supposed to latch on to the nipple, they latch on to the breast around the nipple. And so, if oral anatomy is all good, there's no tongue tie, there's no cleft, there's no, you know, anything going on, we the babies really should be able to latch on to a breast, no matter where the nipple, how far the nipple sticks out.
2: Oh, that's so interesting. Now, I um, wonder why this student had my my client had such a hard, like like really spent so much time and energy and money to try to get her, she they she right. had a bad, bad relationship with breastfeeding with her baby. Well, I will say
1: that it's definitely not as easy. And the reason for that can be twofold. So oftentimes in our culture, um, artificial nipples such as bottles or pacifiers are introduced really early, especially if the baby has a hard time right away. And then the baby feels that tactile sensation and they're like, oh, yep, that's what I want and that's what I'm going to wait for, to suck on. And so that's one of the times whenever a client comes to me prenatally and has inverted nipples that we talk about it's going to be really important from the very beginning to do other sources of supplementation if we can't get a latch right away
2: mm-hmm.
1: while we're figuring out what's going on, whether it's, you know, the baby needs some body work, they need a tongue tie release, whatever that is. Um, you know, some of it, all, especially if the breast becomes really full once the milk comes in, that's another time where then the they're not feeling that tactile sensation on the roof of their mouth to make them want to suck. Um, you know, some people before they have the baby. We'll also do some nipple aversion things. And there's lots of different devices to help that. And you can do that before a lash too. And um but with inverted nipples, I actually I find that people in the hospital, the nurses in the hospital, hand nipple shields out really quick to people with inverted nipples. When I find that it actually is more helpful to wait as long as possible with them and do other sources of supplement supplementation, like cup feeding or Mm. spoon feeding, and um, really give that dyad some time if they're having trouble. Because as soon as we introduce a hard plastic type of thing or silicone feeling, then it definitely is harder to get onto the breast with inverted nipples.
2: We've oh, given such good information. So we've, we've really hit so many, uh, problems and you've often offered solutions. Is there anything for just overall breast care that you would like to offer? Overall breast care. Oh my gosh.
1: Um. <laughs> Not really. Okay. <laughs> I think that I, I just, I individualize um, my approach so much that I always say there's no one size fits all for anyone. You know, I think that we don't have to do anything special necessarily to our breasts unless it's a special circumstance. And so I, I you know, I don't think that there's anything that any one person, like all people need to do or all women need to do. Because everything is so individualized.
2: Oh, I thought of one. I thought of one. A good bra. Okay. Yeah. Oh well yeah, definitely. a good fitting bra. You... <laughs> oh,
1: well, and and I will say a bra that doesn't you know that <laughs> really doesn't poke into your breast. You because say, that's that actually hurt. another thing that yeah. That's another thing, though, that will clog, um, cause clogged ducts. So I'm glad that you mentioned that. I've seen that often where we don't have a good fitting bra, and it's you know poking into the side of their breast or something like that, or squeezing them too tight, where you know they're kind of overflowing, and that line where it's coming across is well, that's you know, what made me think them of and it, and that's where we'll get a clog.
2: Cause I remember being shocked. I mean, shocked at how big my boobs got, and I had to go. Luckily, I was living in New York City at the time, and we had many places. We actually a place called the Upper Breast Side we had the town shop. We had many that were really about uh breastfeeding people. And I had bought some while I was pregnant for postpartum. And then I'm like, oh my God, I need a new bra. And it made such a difference in my overall comfort. And I wonder in hindsight, if that's what caused, it's like for 10 years, it's like, oh my God, I remember that clogged duct." That's what caused it. So yeah, a good bra. <laughs> All right, so we're going to take That's great. No, that's great. <laughs> so we're going to take one more break and we come back. If you can offer one final tip or piece of advice for new or expectant parents and it can be really about anything you are a parent, you are a registered dietitian, you're an IBCLC, so anything that you want to share with our community. We'll be right back. Okay, what would you like to share?
1: Okay, so I think that my one tip, which is actually kind of two tips, okay, would be to a find your person, find your breastfeeding expert, and then don't you know don't listen to your friends; their story is different than yours. You know, find your breastfeeding expert, your IVCLC that you're going to trust and, you know, and follow their advice. And if their advice isn't jiving with your instincts, then, you know, find a new one. Um, So then the other part of it is to trust your instincts. So I am huge on instincts and a mother's instincts. And I think that they are usually so spot on. And I'm really big on listening to what somebody is saying, because I think that, you know, the mom has so much insight into what's going on and so many instincts. And sometimes they don't necessarily know what to do because we've lost a lot of generational knowledge. Mm -hmm. However, I really think if we tap into those instincts, you know, we know if we're getting good advice or bad advice and, um, you know, so find that person that you trust and trust your instincts.
2: Oh, that is so good. I really like that because I think we often second guess our instincts. We have people talk us out of our instincts. We're constantly hearing feedback from everybody that can influence what we're thinking and how we see things. So, oh, I really like that. Where can people find your work? So, um...
1: You can get a hold of me or get a consult for me if you look at BVLactation.com for Boulder Valley Lactation. I am also pretty active on Instagram, and my handle is at Kelly IVclc. And I am not very active on Facebook at all. So that's about it.
2: (laughs) Well, that is perfect. I'll make sure that I have all of that in our show notes, along with some of the really great tips that you gave along the way that I didn't ask about. So like the tongue tie and we've got a good amount of stuff that I'll make sure that people can refer to. I wanted to thank you. Thank you so much for spending some time with me and just sharing your knowledge and wisdom with the community.
1: You're welcome. Happy to.
2: Thank you. This has been an episode of Yoga Birth Babies, produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. You can catch us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Periscope. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Thanks for listening.
0: It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper?